All right, let's have a quick word of prayer and we'll get started. Lord, thank you for this chance to um, meet together again and give some thought to the awesome responsibility that you've given us, uh, those of us who have children now and the potential uh, opportunity for those who don't to be entrusted to uh, point little children to you, teach them about life and about you and uh, the meaning of it all. And uh, we pray that you would help us to focus our attention, to be able to sort through these topics and think clearly about what your word tells us, the principles that we find there, so that we would be able to um, be faithful in this stewardship that you've entrusted to us. So we ask for your help. We ask that this would be beneficial to everyone, and we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we have come the last four weeks through, starting with the foundation of the gospel and beginning with that context. And then um, in in chapter two, uh, discussing the fact that we've got to then build. So the, the gospel teaches us that um, this is something that we're not sufficient in and of ourselves um, and we'll never be able to be good parents if we're not first trusting in Jesus. And so we went into a lot of great detail on that topic. And then we talked about the centrality of God's word to this endeavor. So biblical principle. Uh, then in week three, we talked about taking that, uh, some practical um, facets of taking biblical truth and then trying to apply it in everyday life and some of the challenges that come with that and um, fleshing that out into family standards. And then last week, Pastor Rich walked us through um, then uh, the groundwork, the foundation of um, a godly marriage for parenting, that the work that you will do as parents um, will be greatly impacted by how well uh, of a team you are and surrendered to the roles that God's given you. And so we talked about that and we'll talk more about that, um, extend that next week. Uh, but that brings us to this week and um, the key concept you see at the top of the page there is godly parents create a Christ-centered home environment. And I'm going to change my screen up a little so I can see everything a little better here. I thought I had it the right way, but not quite. All right. Um, there. So godly parents create a Christ-centered home environment. And um, that's the key concept. It may not be apparent how that connects as we walk through some of the main points. So let me let me start off um, with the first uh, point that you have in the outline there. And that is discussing the idea of values versus behaviors, knowing the difference. Um, so we're going to talk about uh, and in the chapter, if you've been reading along in the book, um, she talks about both of these. And I think central to what she's talking about um, is the idea of when we are trying to train children and teach children, we want to really uh, zoom in on the idea that um, it's not enough for them to just do certain things, um, but that those things, it matters why we're doing those things. 
And so uh, knowing the difference between values versus just behavior, because if all we're engaged in with our children is behavior modification, um, we could raise children that figure out how to conform outwardly and, um, and are able to get by. They can survive under the guidelines we give them. But un- unless we actually get to uh, what's underneath the behavior, that they exhibit, uh, what it is that they love and what it is that's driving them to do what they do. Um, one, they'll never see their need for what we started off with all the way back at the beginning, the gospel. You know, when, when they run into the walls, the boundaries that we give them, if it's just about teaching them how to quit running into the walls, um, we'll never get around to the point that we're incapable of perfectly avoiding the barriers that we need God's grace. So um, it's important that we distinguish uh, values versus behavior because we're going to talk about both. And um, she does a good job in this chapter of, of continuously bringing us back to the value behind the external thing, the internal, the heart of the matter. So we'll talk more about that. Um, so speaking of values, this chapter focuses primarily on a value of order. And I just want to point out that order is a godly value. Um, you know, the Bible teaches very clearly that uh, order is a godly value. And she cites, and, and I've got here on the screen for you, 1 Corinthians fourteen forty that says, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Now, if you've read 1 Corinthians, and if you remember this chapter, you know that this is specifically talking about the way we conduct ourselves uh, in the body, in the church. And um, so I don't want to be ripping this out of its context and saying this is why you need a chore chart. That's not necessarily what we're saying. Um, but the context of this of this um, command to do everything, uh, as the King James says, decently and in order, in a fitting and orderly way, um, is in the context of who God is. So if we look at a couple verses earlier in verse 33, we see that the reason for this is God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. And notice it, it contrasts the distinction there is uh, juxtaposing disorder with peace, not this, uh, uh, not order per se, but disorder with peace. God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Um, and that's a state of things being right. Um and so that is why we should do things in a fitting and orderly way. That's why order is actually a godly value. So we're going to talk a lot in this lesson about order. Um, and uh, one of the key principles I think that we're on the same page on before we go into the nitty gritty details about order is that there are two kinds of order we can talk about. And one has to be in the priority place or else the other one is going to essentially be empty. And here's what I mean by that. Internal order precedes meaningful external order. Internal order precedes meaningful external order. What I mean by that is the in our inner life, in what's going on in here and in here. Oh, a little uh, feedback there. Good. Um, in thinking through what's going on in, in here and observing what's going on in here and in here, if 
if we're a mess internally, um, but we are given good standards, good rules, somebody comes along and shows us you should do this and you should do this and it's going to help your, you and your family, you know, so someone comes along or we hire a life coach. This is, this is not uncommon nowadays. You hire a life coach and they come in and they teach you strategies and methods and uh, help you try to get, get your house together. Um, that will only help so much if internally we still don't know why we're here and we don't have an objective for why we get up every morning and what our life is about. And so that's why I say internal order precedes meaningful external order. And the, the Bible says in Proverbs that uh, we are to guard our heart because out of it flows everything we do. So uh, it's really important what's going on in here. And when, when it says the heart, it doesn't just mean the cardiovascular. It means your inner person. So it's very important that we uh, give attention to internal order first. Um, the the uh, book of Romans has all of um, all of this doctrine leading up to chapter 12. And then it begins a very practical section of how this makes a difference in our lives. And at that crossroads where it's transitioning topics, it says this in second, uh, I'm sorry, in uh, Romans chapter 12, verse two, that we should not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So there is a way uh, that our world does things and it's some of it might um, be, you know, in God's, uh, um, uh, general grace to, to everyone in God's, um, um, the remaining image of God and man. There may be people who have, uh, their pattern of life somewhat together and we can learn things from them. But, but, um, we, we aren't supposed to, uh, go to the world to figure out. So we aren't supposed to just get, you know, the right life coach and figure out how to get organized. That's not what we mean when we talk about order. Um, the, the Bible tells us here that we should, this internal order, uh, this, or, or the external actually doesn't come from, um, the world, looking to the world and just fitting into its mold, but rather we should be changed. Meta, metamorphosis should happen, uh, because of the renewing of our mind. And that is how then practical living out of, of, uh, biblical life happens because it says in the next very, very next verse, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. This is how we know how to live, uh, by a change internally. Uh, the, the book says in, in, uh, the chapter in page 144, uh, quote here, I, I thought was very helpful. God's plan for us, his will for us, is that we be shaped not by the outside world, but rather to influence our outer world through the internal order we achieve by following his guidelines of priorities. Um, In that same page we read, the perfectionism of the world requires us to push ourselves to a limit God never intended for us. But he does call us to excellence. What is the difference? The difference is in the heart, in the motivation. So instead of being driven by selfish motivation and getting results, we're driven by godly goals. We're driven by living for the purpose for which God made us, the purpose for which God tells us we were created. So it's got to start there. And so then that is where we want to begin in talking about internal order. 
And she's got a list in the, in the chapter of things that are very helpful. And as I thought about this, I thought, you know, this really, um, this really fits with the way we've tried to structure our church. And this is really a model that we could incorporate into our lives. And I think it overlaps very nicely with what this chapter says. And so I summed it up in as, as this, when we're talking about, um, considering internal order, here's what I think our mandate is. Our mandate is to be mission driven, be mission driven. Any of you uh, who are old enough to have come through our youth group, you've heard me say this till you're ready to throw something at me. And that is, um, you know, we go through life a lot of times, especially when, when we're young people and we, we want something, we want to do something and our parents tell us we can't do it because they have family standards. Good job, mom and dad. And we want to do this thing and mom and dad says we can't do it. And we say, well, what's wrong with it? And I've tried to impress on our teens over the years that we really are, are missing the point when we ask what's wrong with something because there are all kinds of good things we're not going to be able to do. Uh, much less bad things that are bad for us. There are going to be some good things we can't do because you can't do every good thing that you have the opportunity to do. And so as we try to sort through what we will spend our energy on, what we will spend our resources like money and time on and our devotion, give our devotion to, we're asking ourselves, how does this help my mission? That's the phrase, the question we want to ask ourselves. How does this help my mission? Whatever the thing is that we're talking about. So we want to be mission driven and uh, anybody, anybody want to, uh, volunteer? Can you remember what our mission as a church is? There's some interactivity going on. If you're all muted and you can't, you can't participate, you can unmute yourself. Do you know how to unmute yourself? You're on a computer. You can look it up on the website. Nobody? All hey, right. Larry. Yeah. It's love God, love God and others. And live for his purpose. Very nice. You were reading that though, weren't you? <laughs> it's been ingrained in us. You weren't. You were reading, you were reading the notes, but you were filling in the blanks yourself, weren't you? <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, it has been ingrained in us. And it really is, these really are good categories in terms to think about what is the mission that, for which God has created us. And so the first one is learn about God. So, um, this is really us getting to know the one who made us. And how do we do that? In the, in the chapter in the book, it talks about building a relationship with God through prayer and Bible reading. It's really talking about the spiritual disciplines. You'll often hear them referred to. So it is making sure that on a regular basis, you're cracking God's word open and you're trying to learn who he is. You're trying to learn why he put us here. And you're going straight to him to find it out. You're not just internally meditating. You're not going to the self-help section, even of a Christian bookstore. You're going to God's word firsthand. I mean, it's amazing that we all sit here with, I mean, I have within arm's reach, I have like five copies of the Bible and I have a searchable version on my, on my computer and on my phone. And I've got, I can see seven Bibles on my bookshelf from where I'm sitting. I mean, for much of Christian human history, this is not the case that you have that much free access to God's word. Um, and I think sometimes the familiarity, from our familiarity with it causes us to become dull to it. And so being mission driven, first of all, entails learning about God. So we're actively pursuing him through, uh, digging into his word, through talking with him in prayer and, um, 
you know, I, I would also throw into this go, coming to this class, going to uh, listen to your pastor preach on Sundays uh, or tuning in as the case may be now. Um, but that, that all I think is a part of that. I, but I do want to accentuate that you should be going to that book yourself as well um, to become acquainted with it. And uh, it's, I say two things a lot of times to the teens over the years. Um, on the one end of the spectrum, it's a big book, and there's a lot of time, language, and culture separating us from its original writing. So it can it takes some brain sweat to really get it. So you could read through it again and again and again, and then um, enlist helps and commentaries and things to help you. And you could spend a lifetime really learning more about it. It's that kind of a book. But on the other end of the spectrum, don't get discouraged. It has two covers. There's a front and there's a back. And there's a finite number of pages in between. And if a guy like me can read through the whole thing, then certainly everyone on this call can read through the whole thing and can begin to understand it better as time goes on and as your familiarity with it grows. So learn about God. Secondly, love him and others. And um, this, this really is what Jesus summed up the two great commands as when when he was asked, what, what's the greatest commandment? He said, well, really the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God. And the second one's like it and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's those are really two principles that she drew out in the chapter as well. Exalt the name of Christ is the way she phrased it and serve people is the, is the other one um, in the section of internal order. <clears throat> so loving God and loving others Um and then she has a great, I'll allude to it now, but I'm going to let, I'm going to let you make application of this, but I'm going to encourage you make application of this. Um, how do we know? She has a great section of questions saying, you know, how do you prove that you do these things was her wording, but how do you, what are, what are some things you could ask yourself to evaluate? Am I, am I really in a real tangible way in my life exhibiting that I love God? And do I really live in such a way that I'm loving other people? Um, and so I encourage you, uh, use that page. It's about a page and a half as a reference. Look at those questions. Um, and it really will come down to, I think I said this in a past lesson, you can look at how you um, spend your money. You can look at how you spend your time and what you spend a majority of your time thinking about where your devotion lies. And that will, that will help you. Um, begin to evaluate that. Uh, and then the third thing is live for his purpose. So as you begin to learn who God is, uh, and as a result, you and you when you learn about who he is, you also learn about who we are and the amazing fact that he loves us in spite of who we are and who he is. Uh, it causes you to love him more out of gratitude. And it also causes you to have an easier time loving other people because you, you know, it's easy for us to think that uh, it's easy for us to get annoyed with other people because they're not us. Right. We, my wife and I used to joke when we, when we were younger, we would find ourselves um, complaining about something somebody did. And then in order to put ourselves back in our right place, we would go other people. And uh, that really is, it's such an audacious thing of us to be so critical of people as we often naturally are. But as we begin to learn more about who God is and who we are, um, it should be humbling and it should make it easier for us to love other people. And when we, when we learn about how God loves the people he's created, uh, it makes it easy for us, easier for us to understand how easy, how uh, simple 
how much less of a thing it is that we would love other people um, who who struggle just like we do. Um, so, and lastly, I'm I'm talking about live for His purpose. Uh, this is then taking the things He says to do about those things and obeying His word, uh, being willing to do what God says, even though it's not always easy, um, even though it often um, presses us to have to put our own desires to in the back seat to die to ourselves. Um, but we should uh, be willing to do what God says. And like James says, uh, not just be a forgetful hearer who comes to God's word as one would walk up to a mirror, sees that they're a mess and then just walks away and forgets what they look like. Um, so we should be willing to obey God's word and be willing to give our best to God. Excuse me, I got a, I was trying to find my mute button so I didn't blow your speakers out. Um, we should be willing to give our best to God. And I wanted to actually just throw a little caveat on something that was in the book here. It jumped out at me, and I don't think she means it this way. But if you're reading through the book, I just wanted to, to plant this seed for you to, to think about this in the way I think she intended it, maybe not in the way um, my red flag went up right away when I saw it was um, – on page 132, it says, the question there is highlighted, am I, it's in italics, it says, am I hindering the blessings of God in my life due to a lack of obedience to give sacrificially and cheerfully to the Lord? And it's true, there is a sense in which we are missing out on something when we hold so tight-fistedly to what God's entrusted to us that we're not using it for the mission that he gave it to us to spend it on. Um, and particularly, I think, that comes up in the section where she's talking about finances, but it, it applies to the other areas that we surrender to the Lord as well. Like I said, time and talents and, and, and um, so on. But um, I just wanted to make sure we, cause a lot of people say that very same kind of phrase these days, and they mean something very different by it. Um, it there's a, there's a concept called the prosperity gospel that, um, says that you need to plant your seed and you give to, and this is not what this book is saying. So I'm not saying that I, I, I do understand that's not what she means, but I just wanted to call that out as um, it could be that you give sacrificially to the ministry at CBC, and then you still have all kinds of financial trouble come your way. And I, I don't want you to think something's broken if that were to happen, because um, it's not, always a one for one where, you know, we do this and now God's obligated and he does this. He may be trying to teach us something that requires we go through a struggle in one area or another. And so I just want to, I just wanted to highlight that for you, but um, we, we should be committed to giving God our best. And then also, also um, she highlighted a principle. Uh, she called it observing the Lord's day. And um, you know, in, in the new Testament, we're not really given a command to, um, uh, respect the Sabbath, uh, like the commands that are given to the people of Israel. However, there is this concept of kind of a one in seven, um, committing. We, we in the church, uh, at, in, in commemoration of Jesus' resurrection have set aside, we call it the Lord's Day. We've set aside the first day of the week to come together, devote ourselves to God's word and worshiping together. And, uh, it is important. Um, I, it's interesting. I have observed even in um, a secular framework, um, 
some of the best companies that uh, I've worked with or for uh, observe this kind of thing. They recognize that like the company I used to work for years ago, I worked for Covey, um, Stephen Covey's organization, seven habits of highly effective people. And they, one of the seven habits is sharpen the saw. And that is if you're constantly depleting resources and never strategically recuperating resources, eventually you're going to be useless for whatever mission it is you're set out about. And I think that uh, the reason companies, uh, secular entities who recognize this and do it is because it's a, it's a universal principle God's baked into the world that he's made. And that is we should, um, we should recognize that um, we should follow this principle that God has set up in his created order. And that is um, we work and then we rest. We don't live for the rest, but we work hard to accomplish the work God's given us. It's a blessing to be able to do that. And then we strategically rest so that we can be more effective in the work that he's given us to do. Um, so those are the principles uh, as we go through talking about learning about God, loving him and others, and living for his purpose. So if we, if we live, if we use this as a framework for the way we make decisions about how we spend money, what we do in our career, uh, where we live, what we do about schooling for our children, um, I mean, all kinds of decisions you'll make as a family. If we, if we think of this kind of a framework, a biblical framework that is centered on mission, why has God put us here? Um, we're going to, we're going to be, uh, attending to this internal order. We're letting God's word, what it says is valuable. Like we talked about at the beginning, before we get into talking about behaviors and things we want to do in our family, we're talking about what's important to us. These are the things that are important to us. So, okay. Um, one more thing before we get on to the next part of this. Um, and that is we have to be careful to avoid compartmentalization. So we can say, all right, those things are great. That's my church's mission statement. So that's what I, that's what's important to me on Sundays and maybe on Wednesday nights. But then the rest of the week, it's Larry's agenda and our commitment to internal order um, submitted to Christ should extend into all areas of our life. So it affects what we do related to work. It affects our friendships. It affects our recreation. It affects our parenting. It affects our marriage. Um, this idea of living um, mission-focused, mission being mission-driven, should play into every area of life. And so... Um, take, for example, applying this to marriage. Uh, you know, you have, we're going to talk about the order spectrum in a minute. And um, oftentimes people who are married um, are complementary to one another. Uh, they say, you know, that phrase opposites attract. Well, I think, I think this is actually um, a natural thing God has built into us as well. And that is that we appreciate at least in the, in the stage when we're finding that partner for life, we appreciate the differences in that person. And those are the very things, if we're, um, if we're not, um, intentional about this, those are the very things that then could become irritations to us later on. So this means, uh, that it's not realistic for us to expect our spouses and children to be just like us in order to be submitted to God's value of order. Uh, there's a great quote on page 145 in the book. It says, our goal is not to be like each other, but to be like Christ. And uh, 
that's that's a good one. Write that on a card, put it on your mirror. <laughs> Remember that when you're getting ready to rip into your spouse for not putting the dishwasher the way you like it or for, you know, trivial things like the toilet paper going over the, you know, going under. Everybody knows the right way is over. So <laughs> um, those are silly examples, but really these are the kind of little things that wear away at, at relationships. So we apply this priority of mission to our marriage, now we're prioritizing who we know God to be and loving others. You know, loving others includes that person you live with, not just the people outside of your house. Um, so uh, there was another great quote that relates to this in uh, on page 142. It says, sometimes people think, well, you must have just been made for each other. I think she's talking about, Betsy's talking about her and Dave's relationship. And she says, no way. We're being made for each other more and more with each day that we uh, place the other person's own interests, uh, the other person's interest above our own. And uh, that reminded me, I think she quotes it. I went back and I couldn't find the quote I was looking for, but I think she quotes it at some point in Philippians chapter two, uh, where we're reminded that uh, we shouldn't look only to our own interests, but every man look to the interests of others, put other people's needs above your own. And then it goes into the example of Jesus who being, um, Equal being God, uh, didn't put, uh, didn't treat that as something to be held onto, but made himself of no reputation. And then it goes and talks about his sacrifice in our place for us. And so she says, we wouldn't have a strong marriage if we had not thrown selfish pride out the window hundreds of times. So when I say don't avoid compartmentalization, I'm, I'm saying apply this stuff, not just when you come to church. This applies in how you interact with your kids. Ouch. You know, I, I, um, I can't tell you how often people comment. I worked in retail for 11 years when we were newly married and when my children were very little. And I had people all the time talk about me having the patience of Job and what a patient man I was. And, oh, Larry's just so, so calm and patient. And I'm telling you what, nothing will get rid that out of you or show that that's not your true nature, like having little children and having to say something 700 times. You know, the member who's seen the Bill Cosby routine, um, put that back, put that back. Or, or, uh, what is it? Uh, I think he calls the, 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 um, sketch is called brain damage and he's talking about little kids and, and, uh, you put a can of Pepsi there and you tell them don't drink that. The next thing you look over, they're drinking it. And they say, what did I tell you? <laughs> and you say, what did I tell you? And they said, you foretold me for not to drink it. <laughs> and you're like, that's right. I told you not to drink it. Don't drink it. And you turn away, the kid's drinking it again. <laughs> um, but, he, you know, it's, that's funny because that's uh, uh, caricaturing what really happens with uh, parenting. And avoiding compartmentalization means that I have the humility to remember that the Lord is patient with me and how many times does he have to take me through the same lesson again and again and again and when i'm working with my child uh, this precious little child that for some reason i want to throw out the window at this moment <laughs> because he's not listening to me that i have to uh i have to use these mission driven uh purposes in that person in my relationship with that little person too or with my spouse or whatever it is so placing God first in our lives, in our internal life, uh, provides a foundation for appropriate ordering of our external lives then. 
So when our internal life is not in order, our external life will tend to be out of order also. But that's not, uh, I think I want to put a little caveat in. It's not always the case, at least for a period. But even if we can maintain a semblance of external order, the peace that accompanies internal order will continue to elude us and eventually work its way out to disrupt our external order. If we don't have internal order, we might be able to put on a good show, but we won't be able to to sustain it. And this really is a lot of times why you have, I, um, I don't mean to say this to bash them, but I just, it's fresh in my mind. There is a, an, an author, um, it's the, uh, girl wash your face author, uh, book, um, Christian couple. I believe they're professing Christian couple, uh, who Rachel, Rachel Hollis. Yeah. Rachel Hollis. And, uh, really sad news about them. You know, that you look at their Instagram and their social media and they just seem like the ideal couple. You know what I mean? And they just announced that they're getting divorced and, um, the terms in which they describe it too. It's like, they, they, if they were believing what God says about these things at some point, they have, they have slipped, probably not intentionally, but far enough that the way they describe this happening is this is all good. This is really good that this is happening. It's going to be better for everybody. And yet you look at their, their lives and it seems like everything's in the right place. Um, but, something was happening behind the scenes that was breaking up this thing that the Bible says, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So um, I, I just use that as an example, not really not to slam them. I, I feel very sad for what they're going through and their children. Um, but when our internal life is not in order, and I, I think it's probably especially hard for people in their position, their business, their brand is that their family's got it together. You know, how, how who can live up to that? And, um, we might be able to keep the facade of that on, but if the internal order is not our priority, then the external is eventually going to break down because, uh, as we saw earlier, take care of the heart because everything in life flows out of it. All right. So with that, then we're going to talk about external order. And this is more, uh, this is more probably what you really want to know about. <laughs> this is the nitty gritty, you know, how to, but a lot of this gets into application principles and it's not always going to be the same for everybody. Um, but let me, let me talk about the spectrum of order. Um, I'm going to put, uh, the first principle. Do you see overly structured? I want to make sure I cued the right thing here. Overly structured. Um, there's three things on the graphic that is in the book. If you looked at that, there's overly structured. Uh, there is, then on the opposite end of the spectrum, there is no structure. And then in the middle, I'm going to call it balanced for the sake of this explanation here. All right. So I know that there's the graphics a little different, but stick with me. So overly structured. This is, and I will put the graphic up now, actually. All right. So there's the graphic. So overly structured. Um, this is rigid. This is, you know, it's got to be this way. I mean, why wouldn't you have your shirts, short sleeve over here, long sleeve over here, and then color order from light to dark, right? I mean, it just makes sense. Uh, this is, this is in that area of my life, that's how I tend to flow. Um, but it's, it's very self-centered. Um, and she points, points that out in the illustration there. It's inflexible. Uh, it's resistant to adaptation. It demands conformity and it can be very legalistic. 
Um, but then there's the no structure on the other end of the spectrum. And this can, uh, the downside of this is it can lack discipline. It can um, result in confusion as opposed to peace, like we saw in that passage from uh, 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, instead of there being peace, there's chaos. Um, and uh, accomplishing meaningful things long-term can be very difficult with this type of a mindset. And so uh, you see in the center, it says Christ-centered. Um, and then she's got the traits that, that she lists out there. Um, this is where I'll revisit back something I said earlier. Marriages tend to have one of each of these. This is, I think I lifted that quote almost straight out of the book. Uh, though it's often not as simple as A and B, you know, there's, here's type A overly structured and type B no structured. You know, my wife and I can see this in our own lives when it comes to things like organizing my closet and, um, just thinking through an outline like this. Um, those are things I tend to be really organized about. But then there are other things, like when we go on a vacation, I am just so unstructured with that kind of a thing. And she's she feels like, um, you know, we're not getting the most out of our time there if we don't have an agenda and the, the list of items we want to be able to see and that kind of thing. So I think it's often not as easy, simple as just I'm A, she's B. But we do tend to marry people with complementary traits. and what I want us to think about when it comes to external order in this spectrum and being balanced, um, being, being Christ centered allows me to set aside my preferences. So that's where I think why she calls it Christ centered instead of just balanced in the middle there. Uh, taking the balanced approach does mean being Christ centered in that I'm willing to lay aside my preference to listen to your point of view. And for us to work together, together to come up with the best way for our family to be ordered and to be organized. If we allow God's sovereignty in his bringing us and our spouse together and giving us the children he gives us. I mean, any of you who have kids already know that you might have worked things out between you. And when when a baby comes into the picture, especially once you get third baby into the picture, I always I always joke and say, you know, when it like, my organization of my clothes and how I like things to be. Um, I mellowed a lot because my wife's a lot more relaxed when it comes to that. And, you know, things like when we got married, she did the laundry and uh, it wasn't fair of me to say, Hey, you know, uh, Julie, do you want to tell them about the buttons just so I'm not making this up? You can tell, but it's true. <laughs> I'm not making it up. I literally asked her, this is how naive I was as a new husband. I literally asked her, you know, I did like the short sleeve separate from long sleeve and then color sorted light to dark. It just made it easy to pick out what I wanted. And that's how I did it when I was by myself. And things, I found things needed less attention like ironing and stuff. If when you hung shirts up, you buttoned the top, you know, the first, uh, the second and the third button. It kept it hanging right. <laughs> so I actually asked her to do that. And I don't know why she didn't just try to get an annulment right then and there. <laughs> But we're still married. Here we are. And I don't button my shirts like that. I don't have, ask her to, and I don't do them that way. Being married mellowed me a lot. And I'm telling you what, when you add kids to the equation, you really have to sort through what is most important when it comes to order. There are some things, uh, but you have to think through um, in God's providence, he's put you with the people he's put you with. You, he led you to the wife or husband he, he you married, and he's given you the children you have. And your goal is, remember, mission-minded. 
It's not a particular picture. It's not going, okay, I watch the Caracos. They do it this way. I must be this way. Um, there's more than one way to organize in a way that allows you to press forward in the mission. So uh, remember that the goal is not to be like each other, but it's to be Christ-like. And that brings me to, um, uh, I skipped here it is, family order. So when we're talking about external order, what we're really trying to get down to now is family order. And I'm not going to tell you the seven easy steps to get your family in order. I'm sorry if that's what you hoped for. It won't be that. Uh, throughout the book, there will be some things like this that are very practical and help you. But I want to start um, on the high level, and that is be intentional about the tools and methods that you use with your children. So there's a great section in this chapter about uh, a chart. And that is one way to be intentional with to help children focus on here are our goals and here's our pursuit of them. But she makes a great point about um, focusing on um, the heart issues of these and focusing on values and priorities, not just um, tasks or behaviors, you know, like having a chore chart and whose day is it to do the dishes and just making sure that they always clean their room, for example. Know why you're using whatever tools and methods it is that you use with your children. Have uh, When you pick something to use, whatever method it is, have thought about why it is you're using this, in particular for your children or even that child, if you don't do it exactly the same with every child. Um, you know, that's one of the things I've, I've learned over the years is, you don't have to do everything exactly the same with every child to treat the children equitably because your children are not all exactly the same. Um, so know why you're using what you're using to avoid the, the extremes of on one end exasperating your children and on the other hand, cultivating a superficial obedience. Um, and you have to get to know your children um, and you have to um, try to be wise and skillful in how you do this because you're remembering the heart of the issue. You're trying to teach them godliness. And godliness isn't a set of behaviors. Godliness is a set of values. Um, Pastor Ken has done a great job over the years teaching the difference between godliness and worldliness. Godliness is, um, is allowing what God says is important in his word to influence the choices we make in the way we live. Worldliness is the world's fallen values. It's really about values first. There's a great uh, book, especially if you have teenagers, but a uh, Paul Tripp book, I think I referenced before, called Age of Opportunity. And in that, there's a principle he encourages you to teach your teenagers, and that is evil is not in the thing. Um, that we live in a world God has made, but we never encounter the things in the world in a vacuum. Everything we encounter is being used in one way or another, and it's the ways that we use things um, that cause them to honor God or dishonor God. And so um, we want to be teaching children with that end in mind. We want to help them think through uh, and understand that uh, first and foremost is love the Lord with all our heart, soul, and mind, and love our neighbors ourselves. And then when it comes time to make a decision about how we interact with that neighbor, we have that guiding principle as a starting point. So even if a situation comes up that you could have never anticipated as a parent in the year 2020, your child in 2035 is trying to make a decision about something, um, they have godly values to start with as their foundation to decide about that. 
Um, on page 148, Betsy talks about younger children need to receive more instruction regarding externals, but do not make such a big deal over external things as they become young adults. The heart issues are the key things, and that's what we're talking about. So what we want to do then is focus on values and priorities. Children need to make, this is also a quote uh, from page 150, children need to make God their first priority if we're to establish lasting order in their lives. So rather than a bunch of methods, what we want to accentuate is that they should love the Lord their God. And uh, continuing that uh, quote onto the next page, these decisions are entirely up to individual couples as they work to train their children. They are personal standards. Remember we talked about personal standards versus biblical principles. They're personal standards and preferences as opposed to biblical principles. It's our implementation, our attempt at implementing biblical principles. And the biblical principle is that we train our children to be orderly, that they live by biblical priorities and become disciplined individuals. So the biblical principle is that they live life on purpose. We want them to know as they grow up into an adult that they live life on purpose. We're not meandering through. We are walking toward a goal. And um, it's like Paul said, he's, he's in pursuit. He runs as if he's trying to gain a prize. And he doesn't want to look back on his life and see that he squandered. Um, but he doesn't tell us all the things we ought to do with it then. He says, I, I press for the, the prize, the, the high calling I have in Christ Jesus. So it's about us living our life for Christ and the mission he's given us. So we focus, we focus on values and priorities. And then we remember that the goal is to be uh, like Christ. This is why we employ order in our families, because we're trying to be Christ-like. We have an objective. We won't just reach that objective. You won't reach pretty much any objective by just kind of doing whatever. You have to figure out where your where your objective is and make moves toward it. But we certainly won't hit the goal of Christ-likeness if we don't, first of all, know what that objective is and then consciously think about ways to cultivate that. So, um, and that's where she says on page 150, the key to the chart that she offers as a, as a great suggestion, the key to the chart is to build the heart order along with strong life skills. So that, I think, covers uh, the key principles that we wanted to talk about in this lesson. Any, question, any questions about that before we break up and do the small group discussion? All right, let's get discussing. they've all but they're all like nope we left <laughs> we're done <laughs> they might be i don't know <laughs> yeah i mean we're basically just gonna say goodbye anyways but i'll ask her do they have they have a countdown now is that what it is for one minute what you guys eating over there anthony and jess 
Soup? Cereal? What do we got? It was, all, it was all her fault. She made what it. Was it? Soup? You may or may not have had some ice cream with that. <gasps> nice ice cream. <clears throat> That's better than cereal or soup. Cereals <laughs> for like, let's see, maybe about two more hours later. About That's two. Right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I might have made my tenth loaf of banana bread tonight. So <laughs> that banana bread's gonna be death of, death of me. I'm never gonna get back on keto if she keeps right. making the banana bread. <laughs> the banana bread is is it's tough. I feel like I just heard or uh, read somebody posted. If you have not made banana bread or had banana bread or given somebody banana bread, were you even really in quarantine? <laughs> yeah. Then I wasn't the Great. Well, so, I got uh, the new recipe is the Joanna Gaines Magnolia recipe. Perfect. Yeah. So if you need it, I'll send it to you. A scoop of that ice cream right on top of it. <laughs> yes. Watch out. This is terrible. Banana frosty table side style. This was our whole conversation in our group, by the way. Yeah, we just <laughs> talked about banana bread. It was just about banana bread. And ice cream. I also made a banana cake with espresso frosting. That was really good too. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we had to we had to vary it. <laughs> this was a part of the non-negotiables. <laughs> yeah. This is why. Can you over- hear my dog in the background speaking yeah. that toy? Aww. Yes. This is why over quarantine, my hair was not the only thing growing larger. <laughs> All right, uh, Pastor Rich, do we have any? You have any uh, comments, announcements before we? I guess we had a great discussion. Thank you guys for being flexible. Not sure if you guys needed all that time, but it's going really well. So we we had, uh, we had good conversation. Uh, we kind of with uh, just uh, encouraging everyone that you're going to go through different. Uh, challenges with your kids throughout the years, no matter how good they are, you're going to have uh, challenges with them. Jessica was always uh, pretty much like the model uh, styled, uh, you know, certainly with uh, both of our kids. We went through times that we went through challenges, but I encouraged our group really to write down what it is that you'd like to see God accomplish in their lives and commit it to him in Pray about it, but write it down, and, and just see how God blesses through the years. And uh, there's, you know, there were key times that uh, Tracy and I did that, and and now we can see, you know, how God uh, answered those prayers, how He blessed during that. It, but it's it's purely His grace. You know, we've never we can't now that our kids are out of the house, we can't say. Hey, I think we did, you know, I mean, we tried to be faithful, uh, parents. We certainly weren't, uh, perfect parents by any stretch of imagination, but it's, it's God's grace that, that makes the difference. So write it down, commit it to prayer and just see how God blesses in a life and just be faithful, be faithful. All right. Well, I guess, uh, that is, that is it. If nobody has any questions. All right. Rich, Jess shared with our group that you guys were just pristine parents and she listened to every word you guys said. <laughs> I'd say that's a hundred percent accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, Jess. My group will tell that I always say, 
let's just be honest. Jessica was my easier child. Nicholas was a little, <laughs> my, Nicholas cut me on my knees. He was the one who humbled me repeatedly to know that it is God's work. And But I, I will tell you, challenging is good. You, you just get the challenging kids on the right path, and they can accomplish a lot. And Jessica, she's uh, accomplished a lot herself. So just continue to be faithful. Don't give up on crazy ones. That's all we're saying. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, God, God's grace can reach, it reached us, right? <laughs> reach any one of our kids. So I was the easier child, but what did I get for that? A brother. I birthed my brother. It <laughs> <laughs> oh, took me a minute to figure out what you meant, now I get it. <laughs> I'm like, Harrison, don't touch that bowl. <laughs> that was Nick. That was Nick. Me. We got three of those over here. <laughs> well, <laughs> bless you. All right, them. there's the prayer request. <laughs> Emma, we only told a few stories about you, so you're good. <laughs> Jessica was the quick learner. Jessica, don't touch it. It's hot. Teaching her hot, the concept. She was like, good to go. We could be anywhere, and I could just do sign language, like, don't. And she'd be like, all right, I got this. And so life was easy. Nick came along, you teach him hot, and then he looks at you the next time and goes, well, it was hot last time. It does not mean that it will be hot this time. I must <laughs> it myself. He's an empiricist. Oh, I'm telling you. Yeah, stretch stretch you to no end. So, yeah. So when you're over there with all three of your crazies, Cochran's, let me just tell you, don't give up on it. Yeah, it serves them well as they get older. Right. You know, that's a good point that you made there. I'm sure it's going to come up later on, but um, the things about your children, anything that is a troubling trait for them frequently is something God can use uh, in them if it's channeled properly, you know, if it's submitted to him. You know, yeah. so kids who are strong-willed, great leaders when they're submitted to God. Oh, yeah. They're determined. And what's yeah. that, Billy? Those cholerics. They made great bosses. <laughs> the Sodders taught us to just send the kids a bowl of ice cream and up to their bedroom. <laughs> That's Tracy's parenting tip 101. Do what you got to do, man. Parenting in the trenches. You are just surviving, you know. Survival the fittest. I did not Not out here in Trenton. Yeah, catch the crunch should be a break. Or a dinner option at all times. That's all I'm saying. Right, Anthony? That's what we were talking about, 11 o'clock. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yep. The Neapolitan works out great. We have one kid that likes chocolate, one vanilla. <laughs> <and chocolate>. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. That's well, why, you know that's why they invented it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, then they, and then I get in for the whole thing. The spoon makes the ice cream container. <laughs> That's great. All right, everybody. Thanks. Uh, Pastor Rich, I remember, did we close in prayer last time? I know I opened this time. Uh, you want to do that? Pardon me? I said, you want to do that for us? Sure. <clears throat> Father, we just, uh, we thank you for your love. We thank you for uh, working in our lives. Um, we're thankful for uh, being able to get together as uh, as parents and being able to uh, look to your word for guidance. 
uh, help us to be able to uh, take these uh, biblical prim- principles and also principles that we're uh, learning in our uh, sessions together. Help us to be able to apply them. Lord, we know that um, we need your help, and I just pray that you might help um, all of us here um, as we're um, training our children uh, to live lives that would uh, glorify you. So help us in that process. I just pray that you'll give uh, everyone a good week and bring us back uh, safely next week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.